are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Today's scripture reading is Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. This can be found on page 989 of the Black Covered Bibles under the seats in front of you. Please stand as you are able for the reading of the Gospel Word. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thanks, Julie. Good morning, everybody. Bit of an odd Sunday today, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, half the church building is closed, half of you didn't get enough sleep, half of you are sitting in the wrong seats, and I don't know where to look anymore, Um, just not exactly how you thought you would kick off the the beginning of the year, is it? Well, at least it's not how our office staff thought they would kick off the beginning of the year, uh, helping to to figure all that stuff out. So um, we're we're not going to talk too much more about what's going on down there, other than to just to let you all know that we'll send out pictures and some detail updates over email in the next couple of days. Uh, For this morning and right now, I want to talk about something a little bit more fun, something near and dear to my heart, uh, something that I love and can never get too much of, and that's food. Anybody else with me? Yes. All right. So question to start us off. When was the last time you sat down or you were at a legit feast? Now, I don't just mean a big meal uh, or a meal with a lot of people. I mean a, a feast, you know, a meal with a, with a purpose, a meal with a, a bit of ceremony around it, you know, where the food that is prepared has like history to it. These are recipes that are important to your family or to your community or to your ethnicity. And, and so uh, the meal has this history in it. It's the kind of meal where stories are told about who you are and how you came to be part of the family or the community that you're part of. You know, a real feast where children are invited in and given a place at the table and are made part of the family and the community around that table. That meal, uh, that kind of meal where no one rushes through it in order to get to something better later. A real, legit feast where God's goodness is recognized and and celebrated uh, and joyfully accepted. When was the last time you were at a, a feast like that? Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that 
every single culture in the world uses food and uses meals as a ceremonial way of marking time or binding families and friends together or celebrating important moments in people's lives or in the community's lives. Because as one author puts it, we literally create our humanity. We become human at the dinner table. We create humanity in one another at our tables and with our food. Our meals are the places where we learn how to live with one another in the give and take of you know, manners and politeness. Uh, our, our meals are the, the places where we learn how to prefer others before ourselves and make sure everybody has uh, enough to eat. It's where we learn to appreciate God's provision and his care and to celebrate the gifts and the work that's evident that goes into the preparation for the food. It's, it's where we learn to slow down and pay attention to things and people that aren't ourselves. Right, tables, meals is where God weaves us together into communities and creates our humanity. It's meals that turn moments into occasions and give us platforms for making meaning together. Which is why I think that when Jesus wanted to make the last and the most definitive statement about who he is, he did it at a table, over a meal, at a feast. At a meal that was already full of meaning, you know, a table that was already laden with teaching. He, he looks backwards at a deliverance that had already come while also pointing his followers forward to celebrations that will come anew and created a meal that became a memorial. One that we all share in as a family of God. It, it turned a, a meal into a feast, so as we prepare to celebrate communion together, to observe the Lord's Supper, we're going to take a few minutes just looking at these four verses that Julie read for us uh, to get a sense uh, of what Jesus is communicating to us in, in these verses and how this supper informs all of the other suppers that we get to partake in together. So let's jump in. Matthew 26, 26 through 29. If you're not familiar with the context or where we are in the story of Jesus' life, where uh, the, these few verses come near the end of his life uh, during an event we often call the, the Last Supper. It's the Last Supper that Jesus ate with his disciples. It's his, you know, his last meal with his followers. And it's happening at the beginning of a traditional Jewish, Jewish religious holiday called the Passover which looks backwards and remembers the greatest event in Israel's history when God led them out of slavery in Egypt and formed them into the nation. It's a lot like our own 4th of July celebration, but without the barbecue and the beers and the swimming pools. It's a holiday that celebrates the formation of the nation, but theirs is infused and woven much more deeply with a sense that God was the one working this whole thing out. And it's a celebration season that lasts about a week, at least eight days or so. And the highest point in this celebration is a feast called the Passover, which was a, a highly ceremonial and traditional, kind of almost ritualistic meal where very specific dishes were served and prescribed words were said and certain responses were expected by everyone at the meal. Because the, the Passover, the meal itself, uh, reenacted in this ceremonial form the, the moment in Jewish history when God instructed every household to take a, a lamb 
for the meal, prepare it for a feast, but to take the blood from that lamb and to, to kind of smear it on the doorpost and across the top of the doorframe. Not something that we continue to do today, but it, it was a very powerful, symbolic way of showing that, that that household and the members of that household were sheltering under the blood of this lamb. They were taking refuge under God's promise that when he saw the blood of a lamb on the door, he would pass over that house and save it from judgment. So all of that is in the background of these four verses when Jesus sits down to celebrate a Passover feast. Now, when Matthew and Mark and Luke also, when they kind of record the details of uh, this, this particular feast, this Passover, they don't give us a lot of like the ceremonial details of what was said and repeated, kind of assuming we all would just know. Uh, they all record the, the very unique things that Jesus said that totally changed the meaning of the feast and the meaning of what they were doing, uh, what Jesus was doing. So the details that are here are of huge importance. It's in these details that Jesus gives new symbolism to the elements that everyone at the table was intimately familiar with from having participated in this meal year after year after year, but suddenly Jesus is changing it, re-signifying the meal, giving it fresh meaning. He's taking this ceremonial meal that looked backwards and re-filling the symbols with new meaning centered on himself and looking forward. Uh, Look at verse 26. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 26 of Matthew 26 says, Now as they were eating, eating this Passover meal and going through the ceremony of it, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples. Now taking the bread and speaking a blessing over it was a normal part of the meal. The blessing went something like, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. And then the bread was shared and eaten. But Jesus adds new words. He's breaking the bread into pieces and passing it out. And he adds, Take and eat the bread. This is my body. You can imagine the disciples as they're sitting there with the bread in their hands halfway to their mouths going, wait, what? That's a, that's a new line. <laughs> no one's included that one before. Did somebody make a mistake when they were preparing this bread? Right? Like, what's in this? Jesus is, is kind of giving a shocking statement here in the middle of what would be a normal, understood feast and trying to clearly communicate, hey, there's something new going on here. There's something different going on here. Because remember, this is a meal that is laden with symbolism. Every cup, every dish meant something. So for Jesus to say, this is my body, after breaking apart a loaf of bread, communicated something. At least made it clear that he was about to be violently killed. Metaphorically, if not literally, broken. This is my body. Or as Luke records and Jesus saying, which was given for you. And he doesn't stop there. A few moments later in the meal, as sort of the formal part of the meal has ended and the last cup is being passed around to send everybody out from the meal, he, he gives some similar words around the cup. Verse 27, 
Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, again, a similar sort of uh, blessing on it, blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. So a similar kind of blessing, he just then says, now here's the wine, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, in a normal Passover, when that cup is passed around uh, and is poured for everybody, the, the words of blessing are spoken and everyone drinks. But Jesus adds these new words saying, drink, all of you drink of this. This is my blood, blood of the covenant, blood that is poured out, poured out for many, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And, and there's so much in just those a uh, few words, each phrase kind of pulls back to a different part of Israel's history and pulls it into this present moment and in this meal. For Jesus to say that his blood is poured out is unmistakably sacrifice language. Blood is poured out in sacrifice. His death will be for the sake of others on their behalf. And he says that this blood is, his blood is being poured out for Many, which is a direct kind of hearkening back to Isaiah 53 and Jesus' own understanding of himself as fulfilling the description of the Messiah that Isaiah gives us in the 53rd chapter of his book, that he will be the one who makes an offering for sin, pours out his soul to death. He bears the sins of many. And Matthew, I mean, make sure we, we get that by even more clearly pointing out, you know, this is blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It pulls together the work of the Messiah in Isaiah 53 and offering himself and the role of sacrificial blood in the Passover, the lamb on the doorframe, together with the new covenant that is promised to the people of Israel in the prophet Jeremiah. This is the blood of the covenant, Jesus says, and uh, that covenant would be about forgiving and forgetting, removing people's sins. All of these sort of major highlights of the Old Testament story are all brought together by Jesus in this one meal around this one cup and around this bread to say, there's something new happening here in this meal. This meal that looked back is now also looking forward. This meal that celebrated God creating a nation, calling a people and forming together is, is now inaugurating a new community. It's giving a new basis for relationship with God. Just as that old Passover looked back to Israel becoming a nation and the chosen people of God, you know, the ones who sheltered under the blood of the Lamb. Now, the new Passover, the one that we call the Lord's Supper, is it's a celebration of the inauguration of a new community, a community that's, that's formed by the sacrifice of Jesus as the perfect Lamb, and it's made up of all of those who eat and drink at the table with him. It is all of those who live in the, the faith that Jesus' death on the cross, his sacrifice on our behalf, puts us in right relationship with God and in right community with one another and in right orientation towards ourselves and invites us into God's great recreation 
project as we work with him to make this creation, though it's marred by sin and fallen, we work with him to make this creation as much as possible like how creation was intended while we wait for Jesus to return again and redeem all things and to wipe away every tear from every eye and to make all things new. All of that in a cup of wine and a little bit of bread. Because it's, it's not just a meal, it's a feast. It's a meal that is laden with meaning. Pulling in the, the, the meaning of the Passover meal, looking to past deliverance and this future expectation that, that something is coming, that Jesus is about to do something that completely changes everything. And when we celebrate this meal, we too look back to what Jesus has done and forward to what he is going to do. Because, and this is my favorite verse in this little section, verse 29. Jesus makes it explicit that there is a full and a final Passover feast to be celebrated and fulfilled in the kingdom to come. Look at verse 29. So after the bread, breaking the bread and passing it out and shocking them by saying, this is my body which is given for you. And after the cup and pouring out that final cup and passing it around and saying, this is my blood, not just the blood of whatever lamb you found to slaughter, this is my blood that's being poured out to make a new covenant with you for many for the forgiveness of sins. He then says, and now I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Until that day when I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. Now, I think it's a bit of an over-interpretation to read this to say that Jesus is committing himself to never again touching a drop of wine until his kingdom is fully established. He's a teetotaler until the kingdom come. A little, I think that's a little bit over-interpreting it. What, what Jesus is saying here with this fruit of the vine is he is not celebrating another Passover he is not celebrating another Passover meal, another last supper, until the very last supper. Until the last supper, the feast at the end of the world finally comes in. And the deliverance that God has promised has been realized. Jesus is looking forward to a final and a full celebration, a banquet table when everything that the Passover represents and everything that he points forward to in his own suffering and death will be finished, completed, fully realized. And the best part about this is that it's this last feast, this feast at the end of the world, the feast at the beginning of his kingdom that he looks forward to joyfully celebrating with us. You saw his words there, right? I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you. He says, with you, with his followers, with all who sit at the table and participate in his body and in his blood, in the bread and in the cup. See, in verses 26, 27, 28, when Jesus is focusing his words on the bread uh, and his body, which is given for us, and when he's focusing his words on the cup and his blood, which is poured out for us, he, he's focusing rightly on, on his death. But verse 29 brings us back to life. Verse 29 brings us to the, the life beyond Jesus' death. 
the final and full life in his father's kingdom. And when that kingdom is here, when Jesus has returned to establish his rule and his reign and God has brought heaven back to earth, then in that kingdom there will be a feast, a feast to end all feasts. And I don't think that Jesus is being metaphorical here. That it's some sort of, you know, spiritual feast with spiritual food because, you know, we're all going to be spirits just floating around on clouds playing spiritual harps all day or, or whatever. I think this is an actual literal feast with real food and an actual table with full fellowship with, with Jesus and with his Father. Because throughout the Old Testament, feast after feast after feast is promised to the people of God and commanded of the people of God in order to celebrate God's rich blessing on his people. Even as Julie so beautifully prayed already this morning, referencing Isaiah 25, God promises on this mountain, the Lord of heaven's armies will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, feast of well-aged wine, rich food full of marrow of aged wine, well-refined, and he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all their faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken and it will be said on that day at this feast behold this is our God we have waited for him that he might save us this is the Lord we have waited for him let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation see this is the feast that Jesus anticipates The feast at the end of the world, the feast to end all feasts. And that's the feast that we anticipate. Every time we participate in this little meal with meaning that we call the Lord's Supper. In a a culture that practiced an annual remembrance of the Passover through the the ritual and the ceremony of the Passover meal, it was only natural that Jesus' followers would continue to observe that meal, though changed in the way that Jesus had inaugurated it, no longer looking, just looking back at the exodus from Egypt and the formation of the nation of Israel, but now it's looking at the work of Jesus on the cross and and looking forward to the one great worldwide family of God and the full deliverance of God's people in the age to come. And think about it as the story of Jesus spread and more and more people without a Jewish background came to faith in Jesus people began to observe what we call the the Lord's Supper on a a much more frequent basis than just annually. Because they realized that any meal where the church gathered together, any meal could become a remembrance of Jesus' death and an anticipation of his rule in the kingdom to come. That's the spirit within which we participate in the Lord's Supper, looking back at what Jesus has done for us and anticipating the feast at the end of the world. So I'm going to pray and then our our servers are going to come forward with the elements of this feast, this meal uh, with meaning built into it. We'll celebrate it together and I'll lead you through it. So hold on to the elements so that we can all uh, partake in it together. Almighty God, you have given us uh, this food and this drink as tangible and visceral reminders of what you have done for us and what you have promised to do for us. 
Father, in these moments uh, in which we eat the bread together and drink the cup together, Father, be present with us. We ask that you would remind us of your goodness to us and of your promise for us. That, Father, even as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we would show the death of your son. We would proclaim it until he comes again. Now draw us together, Father, we pray, into one family that, in, that participates in this communion, this union of community together. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I was preparing for uh, communion this morning and thinking about um, this particular story and passage, I realized, I think because the story is so familiar to us, it never really occurred to me until recently to wonder why Jesus held a feast on the eve of his death. Have you ever wondered about that? You know you're about to be betrayed and killed, so let's use the money we have to throw a party. It, it almost seems like it's not quite the right thing to, to do at the right time, and there's got to be more of a reason to, for doing it than just that was what was on the calendar. Right? It's Passover, so that's what you do. You, you throw a feast. Now, we're not... Well, it's a, there's, there's got to be more to it than just that because we're told in the Gospels that Jesus eagerly desired to eat this feast with his disciples. But I, I found myself wondering this week, why? Why a feast in the face of death? Celebrating God's goodness just before you're killed it seems to me like they don't really fit together all that well. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized I think there is a reason why there's this feast here just before Jesus dies, and I think it's a one-word reason why, and that's hope. I mean, really, hope is the only explanation for why we throw any feast at all. Only, uh, only by faith in a promised future and a certain hope that God will make good on his promise are we able to hold a feast in the wilderness, essentially, as Jesus does here. Hold a feast in the middle of the wilderness. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's hope, a sure and a certain hope that this last supper is not the last supper of all. But it's just the last supper before the great supper. It's just the final feast before the greatest of all feasts. And so if Jesus can host a feast in the wilderness, in the face of pain and struggle and trial, then I think so can we. You know, we, we get together as believers uh, on a Sunday and we celebrate the Lord's Supper because we have a sure and a certain hope that this is not the last meal we will ever have together. It's not the last meal that we'll enjoy together. And every time we participate in the Lord's Supper together, we get to wonder, but what if this is the last supper before the great supper? What if this is the last feast before the great feast? And every time we gather in our homes and set aside time and money and food for a true feast, for a celebration of God's goodness to us in the wilderness... In this exile, as we wait for his coming, we're proclaiming that the Lord who died will return. 
we're proclaiming that that feast, that meal, is not the last of all meals. That supper is not the last of all suppers. That feast is not the end or the last feast. There is a feast that is to come when we will all be made new, when all tears will be wiped away, when we'll rejoice in the presence of God and each other forever. Now, as I was thinking about, well, what do we do with a passage like this, and how do we kind of take it from here and walk out with it and live out, live this out in our homes and in our neighborhoods? Really, the only thing that came to mind for me was, go throw a feast. Like, I mean that legitimately. Go throw a feast. Um, that's the one application point for this morning from the, the Lord's Supper. Throw a feast. Feasting is, though you won't find it in too many of the books, feasting is a spiritual discipline. It's something that the people of God are commanded to do. Actually, in the Old Testament, uh, the Israelites were commanded to set aside a tithe, 10% of what they made in a year, in order to once a year throw a feast for themselves and their neighbors to celebrate God's goodness. It's there in Deuteronomy 14. You can look it up. 10% of what you make in a year is supposed to go towards food and strong wine and great cheese and whatever you enjoy eating to throw a feast celebrating God's goodness. Does anybody have a feast tithe in their, uh, their yearly budget? Why not? I mean, seriously, why don't we? There's, there's something about, I don't know, we call it prodigality or we call it uh, frugality or whatever. Yeah, we call it frugality because we don't want to be prodigal. We're like, oh, you can't waste money on food like that. But God says for his people uh, that sometimes the, the best thing you can do for your relationship with God and in your community is to throw a heckin' big party to celebrate how good God has been to you and to save up for it. To throw a feast. And it may, in a church like this, we may be, yeah, but that money could go to missionaries or go to the church or something like that. And it's like, well, that's true. But it might be that the best testimony you could have in your neighborhood is to throw the most generous party in celebration of what God has done. And invite your neighbors along. Throw a feast in the middle of the wilderness as an act of faith that you don't have to just scrape together whatever pleasure you can out of food, but that that feast can mean something more and point towards something greater. The people of God, because of what Jesus did at the Passover, began celebrating this feast weekly, regularly, gathering together as a church to say, let's eat together and celebrate what God has done. As one of my uh, favorite authors puts it, he says, a feast is a true proclamation of the abundance of being. He calls it a rebuke to the thrifty little idolatries by which we lose sight of the lavish hand that made us. He goes on to say, it's precisely because no one needs soup and fish and meat and salad and cheese and dessert at one meal that we so badly need to sit down to them from time to time. It was abundant generosity that made us all. And we were not created to fast forever. So feast. And when you feast, remember, we, we are proclaiming that this meal is not the last of all meals. That this feast is not the end. That there is a feast to come when all will be made new and all tears will be wiped away. 
and we will rejoice in the presence of God and of each other forever. So if you want to be ready on that feast day, practice now. Throw a feast. Because though every feast on earth will end when the food runs out and the children fall asleep and friends have to go home, at every feast we can wonder, what if this is the last one before the last one? What if this is the last feast before the great one at the end of the world? We were not made to fast forever. Father, you have blessed us richly and abundantly with so much that you have given to us. Let us rejoice in you through what you have given. And feast together, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.